AJ Jones, welcome home. Thanks. Where have you been? St. Louis. And what have you been doing in St. Louis? Um, I was doing a women's event in St. Louis for Southgate Church. You have been there many, many times. Five years in a row. They just love you, I guess. They do. I love them too, though. It's well, like, that works, because yeah. that would be awkward if you didn't. Yes, I've... Uh, if it's not too weird a statement, I've fallen in love with that group of ladies. They're they're so amazing. Oh, good. And I love seeing all the stuff that God's doing from year to year to year. And you took a team of women with you to minister as well? I did. And yeah. do you have fun? It was so fun. They're, they're crazy. Like The women you took with you or the women you went to visit? Well, the women we went to visit. And then I brought some crazies with me. So I uh, had a lot of extroverts on the team this year. <laughs> and that worked out real well. Uh, so really even car rides with extroverts well it was a little loud when we first all got in the van to head to st louis and then a couple of the extroverts fell asleep and it got like about you know normal see that's amazing so yeah it was good (laughs) so you had a great time you've literally just walked in the door from driving home from st louis yeah and you're looking amazing really Ah, absence makes the heart grow fonder so I don't actually look amazing, but because I've been away for three days, I look okay. <laughs> what, what's the right answer that still lets me jump you tonight? Oh, dear. <laughs> um, I don't know. We'll have to see. Okay. <laughs> uh, you realize that all the children are still alive. That must count for something. It does. It. I mean, alive, and they even looked happy. Very happy. And like you might have bathed them this weekend. I did. I bathed them. I remembered how to do that. And I fed them, I think, mostly. Yeah. And yeah. it's kind of easy now because I let them pick their own clothes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Including MJ. And you're not there to correct me. Sure, okay. he, he went in Superman pajamas to church today. It was fine. Nobody oh, cared. Okay. Well, he'd look cute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me about this week. Recap. Taught on the father heart at the school this week. Yes, you did. You did an incredible job. Thank you. There was lots of tears. Lots of tears. That's what you're looking for in a Father Heart Week. <laughs> <laughs> and then I taught at Emily on Monday night. Mm-hmm. And then we had a, we say this every week, we had a week of meetings. That's because we have weekly meetings, but they were very productive and very encouraging meetings. They were. It was a good week. The it's most important week. thing though this week mm-hmm. was new iPhones came out. Yes. Did we get new iPhones? We did. Woohoo! Does that surprise anybody? Probably not. No, this is the advantage of the iPhone upgrade cycle. You can sell your current phones to cover the cost of new phones. And it, yeah. Which is See, what we did. There you go. We actually, in America, they have the iPhone upgrade program straight from Apple, which yeah. seems like a lot less work. So we signed up for that, which just gives us a new iPhone every year, which is basically what so we So now going forward, we don't have to find somebody to sell it to. We just mm-hmm. hand it back and get a new one. Correct. I'm, I'm liking this idea. But we've never really had a hard time selling our phones. Nope. No, we have not. So, yeah, I'm super excited. I, uh, uh, we didn't have great internet while we were away this weekend, so some of my things uh, instantly downloaded when I walked in the house. What do you mean your things? Uh, my apps and stuff that had Oh, from your backup. Yeah, that it hadn't downloaded from backup, so... I'm with you. I'm excited. I haven't played my game all weekend. You're so strong. I know, right? <laughs> I only had played lots of my game this week. Really? It's amazing how much gaming you can get done when... Your wife isn't there to kind of moderate your progress through Super Mario Brothers. You. you know, when we were driving in the car as we were leaving, they were saying, so, you know, what's Alan going to do with the kids this weekend? And I'm like, you know, I don't know, but I imagine he's going to play more video games than normal. And uh, 
I said, but he will have to feed the kids. And so Shannon said, well, if you come home and MJ knows how to make his own omelets, you'll know that he didn't feed the kids. <laughs> I made sure the kids were turned towards the light periodically. Well, and that's great. They just ate M&Ms and Skittles out of a dog bowl and they were fine. <laughs> I just put down some newspaper in the corner and they were great. Wow. All weekend. Yeah, a little bit of water maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Talk to me about jingles because this Thursday, is October 1st, is the cutoff for our jingle competition. Yeah, come on. And I've had lots of people come up to me at church and just say, I've got some jingles for you, but no tweets yet. Oh, guys, you have to get your jingles in. We need your jingles by the first. Mm-hmm. Not strictly speaking true that we had no tweets. We did get one tweet. Yes. But I'm too excited about it to talk about it. Yes. Do you know what? I was thinking about a topic for this week. Yeah. And I was thinking about what you were teaching this week at school. Yeah. And I figured, surely, we have talked about the topic we're going to talk about tonight. But we haven't had And I look back through 69 episodes and we haven't talked about the power of forgiveness at all. Which is hard to believe. Shocking. Right. It's like not talking about donuts, the kindness of God, the father heart, the prophetic. Fish tacos. Right. We hadn't covered forgiveness. (laughs) And for people who are connected with you, who've known you, who've heard you speak, obviously the father heart message is is a key message of yours. But right at the first message you probably ever share on the father heart message is your forgiveness message Mm -hmm. and thousands of people around the world have been impacted by your life story yeah which you don't have to tell now because it takes a long time yeah but forgiveness has been key to your life and if i may the radiance of your life like when i met you in 2003 i couldn't equate the person standing before me with the person in the story when you tell your life story. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah when yeah. you're telling the class about your life, it's very, very hard for me to correlate the little girl in that story who grew up to be the radiant woman in front of me. Cool. And I think obviously the key to that is not only receiving forgiveness, but extending forgiveness. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about misconceptions about forgiveness. Okay. Um, you have to remember when you met me, though, you're talking, I'm, you know, 12 years into a journey of learning how to forgive um, at that point. And so... Yeah, you hadn't met me and learned a new <laughs> chapter of forgiveness. <laughs> I forgive Mario, Luigi, Donkey Kong, and Alan. And what's that guy's name? Bowser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, we have a Bowser in our little studio here. It's that sad. Anyway, I... that glorious? Glorious. I'm sorry. I I meant glorious. I just said sad. Um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about forgiveness. I think sometimes people's reticence to forgive, and certainly my reticence to forgive to begin with, was that I thought if I forgave someone for what they had done, or, you know, whether it was my dad or whoever it was, that that meant what they had done was okay. Right. So I couldn't get to the point, or I wouldn't allow myself to get to the point where I forgave them because I thought, well, what they did wasn't okay, and I won't say that. Right. But forgiveness doesn't say what they did was okay. It just says, you don't owe me for it anymore. But that those two seem neighbors. You don't owe me anything for what you did. I mean, that's a hard mountain to climb. Mm-hmm. People who've been betrayed, beaten up, stolen from, abused. Right. To turn to the person who perpetrated those horrible things on you and say, actually, 
I don't need to get even with you. You don't owe me anything. I actually release you from everything you did to me. That's an enormously Everest-like peak to, yeah. to ascend. What is the reward for doing that? Because surely there is merit found in the vitriol of unforgiveness. Well, nothing that's going to give you life. I think the reward in a short answer is freedom. But I think maybe looking at it a little bit um, differently, like here's the thing, you and I, when we're when we've been forgiven by Jesus for all the things that we've done, we owe nothing now. Right. That's not fair either. But the kingdom of God isn't about fairness. So I'm thankful that I don't owe what I should owe for the way that I've lived my life because actually what I owe is my life. But Jesus made an exchange for me. And so you're doing the same thing. You're saying, okay, you know, I'm I'm going to release you from the debt that you owe me from it. When you release somebody from the debt that they owe you, then actually God can move and bring healing. The longer you sort of sit there and with your little hands around their little neck waiting for justice, you're you're never going to see healing in that situation. And you're the one that's suffering as much as anybody else. Yeah, unforgiveness is kind of like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. Right. It's funny because even in the church circles and, and the Christian world that some people move in, their viewpoint of God is through a justice mentality. Yeah. Where they want justice for the person who sinned against them, but they want mercy for themselves and their sins against God. Right, and it doesn't work that way. What, why doesn't it work that way? Because if I want justice for you, I get justice for me. And if I want mercy for you, I get mercy for me, but I can't... It doesn't work that I could so wanting justice and reap mercy. Right. There's that amazing verse that says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Right. And it's impossible to sow oranges and reap bananas. Right. So you can't sow, get them, God. Get them. See what they've done to me? Make sure they pay me back. Right. And actually reap the same thing in your own life. And the thing is, you don't just reap from that one situation. You reap from all over the place. So... Whatever you're sowing, even if you might even be sowing something small and with just one situation where you're unwilling to release forgiveness, you're going to reap unforgiveness from all over the place. Right. So it's never going to be a good decision. I heard a Christian minister once say that it's immoral to forgive somebody who hasn't first repented and said sorry for the thing that you need to forgive them for. I'm, I'm not sure where they get that from. I mean, Neither am I. I remember the Lord saying to me, you know, when he was asking me to forgive my first husband for, you know, everything that had gone down in that situation. And there was a lot. Um, and he woke me up one morning, gave me this dream. And he said, I want you to forgive him and let him go. And I was like, okay. You know, I was bawling because of this dream that he'd given me. And he said, I want you to forgive him. And he may, he's never going to say that he's sorry. And so it's one of the questions that I ask people, you know, when, when we talk about forgiveness. Can you forgive them even if they're never going to say that they're sorry? Because us extending forgiveness is actually something that Jesus asks us to do. And it never says anywhere that I can remember that they have to say they're sorry first. Right. You know. So what was that like forgiving your husband for running off with somebody else and cheating on you? And then ultimately filing for divorce against you. What was that like having to forgive 
when the Lord said he's never going to say sorry? Horribly difficult. I mean, you know, there was there were moments where it felt easy-ish, and then there was days where it was just horribly difficult because it kind of comes in stages and layers, you know? Right. Um, but freedom lies on the other side of doing it. Mm-hmm. I remember you teaching something that it took me a while to get my head around, but I've I've since you know meditated on it, and I think it's amazing. Tell me your insight on forgiveness about Stephen being stoned to death in the Book of Acts. So, if you think about, if you read Acts, you know there's um, where Stephen is. You know he's an, anointed, for lack of a better word. You know he's chosen and he's set apart, and then you know a couple of chapters later he's stoned to death. And certainly present at that stoning, possibly orchestrating it, is a man named Saul. And we know that he's there because the Bible says that he's there. Mm-hmm. And Stephen, as he's being killed, releases forgiveness to those that are killing him. Just as Jesus did on the cross. Just as Jesus did on the cross. And I think, you know, it's pretty impressive. I've never been killed before, but I think it would be difficult, <laughs> you know, while people are, you know, throwing large rocks at me to be like, no, I forgive them. But he did. He forgave them. And I, I really think that that forgiveness is what releases God to move in in Saul's life. So all of that takes place in Acts 7. And then in Acts 9, Saul has his encounter on the road to Damascus and you know is blinded, encounters Jesus, and becomes Paul. So it makes me wonder if Stephen's forgiveness released a grace upon Saul, you know, for God to move and do what he did and make him Paul. Here's something I'm wondering. It's quite aside from the spiritual dynamics of forgiveness and or unforgiveness. Like when I met you, even though, as I was saying, I listened to your life story, and we're going to put a link in the show notes so you can hear AJ's testament if you haven't heard it before. I just even think about what kind of person you would have been if you had an extended forgiveness. Certainly you wouldn't have been as cute and as shiny as you were. <laughs> you probably would have looked like a prune. I'd look like one of those. Did you ever make one of those apple people? No. You know, you take an apple and you shrivel it up and then you put pins in it for an eye and a nose and it looks like a little shriveled old lady. We had TV in Scotland to entertain us. Oh, wow, that's great. (laughs) But not good TV. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're going to get emails. (laughs) Yeah, you you know, when you meet people who are struggling with unforgiveness, it's not a pretty sight. Especially when it's been a 30, 40, 50 year journey. Sure. And the trouble is, it's like, I, I, I know you probably don't have a better tool to deal with the pain that you're carrying. But ironically, the way to get rid of the pain is to extend forgiveness to your, the person who inflicted the pain in the first place. Mm-hmm. But I, I think when you're right in the midst of a whole bunch of pain, it seems like the hardest thing in the world oh, to do. Absolutely. But it's the smartest thing. And it's the thing that will get you the healing that you'd so desperately want the fastest. Yeah. Like I said, if you want to hear AJ's story of growing up in a very broken and abusive household and her struggles with suicide and death in the family and alcoholism and how would you even describe your life? It's like all the episodes (laughs) of every major theme in a soap opera happening in your life, but it was all real. And then betrayal and... I mean, it's amazing. I just love that you're happy. And I, I, I remember I remember one time we were coming home from church and you'd been on prayer team and you were praying with somebody who was going through a horrible divorce 
And on the car home, you know, you were really quiet. I said, are you okay? And you're like, yeah, I was just praying for somebody who's, you know, whose husband's just left her. And it just really broke my heart. And I just can't even imagine what it would be like to go through that. And, and I was like, babe. And you're like, uh-huh. I was like, you went through that. And you were like, oh, oh yeah, I did. I forgot about that. <laughs> but that's what forgiveness does, babe, right. is it totally removes the power behind the things that you've been through. So, yeah, I've been through a lot of stuff but I don't have to walk like the wounded. And it's forgiveness that releases that. Forgiveness is the door that ushers in the restoration of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Yeah. You just unlock that bad boy and the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus just comes pouring in. It's incredible. Yeah. If you would like to hear AJ's testimony and her teaching on forgiveness, go to alanaj.com slash 70 and it will be in the show notes and you can find a link there. All right. Do you want to say anything else about forgiveness? I'd encourage you to give it a shot and realize that uh, sometimes you forgive the same person for the same thing more than once or maybe 50 or 100 times depending on what it is. And you just keep going until that thing doesn't have any power behind it when it comes to mind. Uh, I mean, my t- the two key verses in Scripture, you know, is Matthew 18 with the parable of the unmerciful servant mm-hmm. and then the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. That Actually, it's... a uh, mandate to forgive that's not very helpful to know when you're in the midst of forgiveness but i guess one thing that's very handy to know is that forgiveness is actually a choice it's not feeling yeah you're probably never going to feel like forgiving yeah it's always going to be a choice and something you choose yeah you just get your will behind it and go for it and i think people get stuck because it feels fraudulent like the pain feels real but the forgiveness feels fake what do you say to people in that situation well i think you i think there's power in your words so you start with getting your will behind it and releasing forgiveness. And, you know, sometimes your emotions come online and sometimes they don't, but either way you're being obedient to scripture and God's going to honor that. Very good. I got a listener's question for you. Okay. Last week we talked about connection. Mm-hmm. This week we got an, a listener's question from Charlene. Mm-hmm. And she says this, she said, I love your podcast. As a single woman, I sometimes struggle with the who to maintain connection with. I have lots of friends in that there are many people who I enjoy and can talk to at a party or event. But my question is, how does someone who is single and loved by others get on the minds of other people to invite them places? It seems like others may be assuming that I don't want to spend time with them and their kids or husbands, but I actually would love to. My other question is, what does community or connection look like for someone single like me, as it seems like all of it is centered around spouses and children, which I don't have yet? Thanks again. Love you guys a ton. Well, you can answer the second part of that question because you were single for quite some time after being divorced until you met this handsome Scotsman. It's true. It's true. I was single for quite a while. Um, So my question to you then, on behalf of this listener, is what did community or connection look like for you when a lot of your friends had spouses? I suppose community and connection for me looked a lot like doing different church events. Like... Um, because that was your orbit because that was my orbit and so yeah I mean there was young adult things there was you know youth things and I kind of helped out with the youth and then if there was you know if there was a service going on I'd go show up and most of my friends all were in that same sort of orbit so we just mostly groups I mean just huge groups of people hanging out and we kind of all went out for lunch every Sunday and all did this and all that. You know what I mean? Like we just moved around together as a big kind of horde of people. Right. So I had friends within that group that were definitely tighter 
friendships, you know, where I was definitely closer with them and they were the kind of people that I'd go, I'm really hurting about this or, you know, hey, could you pray with me about that? Or, you know, if you, because I'm not exactly an extrovert, I, I'd need smaller group time as right. well. Um, and some of those people were married and some of them weren't, but okay. um, they tended to be all people that were evenly invested in relationship. Hopefully that's helpful. Second question. First question is, how do you get in the minds of other people, especially people who've got kids or spouses? I think the funny thing is, I remember being single and trying to connect with people who were married and had kids and really had no clue how different their life was from mine. Like, I remember saying, hey, you know, why don't you come over at seven o'clock? And they were like, "Uh, I put my kids to bed at seven. And I hadn't, you know, until you're married or until you have kids, it's it's very difficult to imagine just how consuming getting, getting through the day is. Yeah. Forget spending time with your spouse or having a date night. I just mean making sure none of the children, you know, are bleeding or broken and are well fed and have done their homework and are in bed. Right. <laughs> you know, by the time you get to the end of the night, you're just like, uh. I mean, I don't even arrive at thinking about even possibly being social until after they've gone to bed and I've had half an hour of nobody saying mummy. So you're now talking 7.30 before I've considered if I even have energy to see somebody. Right. And usually by then I'm like, eh, it's too late. And so tomorrow begins. Right. So it's probably not the single person's fault. If you know, Because so, the question is how to get on other people's minds. The truth is, other people's minds are probably wasted by about 8 p.m. They're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I got through that day. So it's not like they're in this constant stream of socializing and you're somehow missing out on it. Mm-hmm. It's, they're probably just collapsed and I would <laughs> on the say, sofa somewhere. Yeah, I would say Netflix. especially when there's kids involved. Right. I think there's the stage of you get married and you're learning how to do life with a spouse, but really even at that stage, you could still go, hey babe, I'm going to go out with so-and-so. And it's no inconvenience to the other person because right. you're not asking them to pick up the slack. But it's it's different when there's kids involved because now you're, you know, in order for me to go out and, you know, hang out for a day with whoever, that means you have to be okay with having three kids and everything that comes with that. And you're just as tired as I am. So it's a lot easier if you're sharing the load. So right. um, obviously we, I mean, we frequently just say, hey, come over and hang out. Right. And um, hang out means... Be a part of what's going on. Be a part of the circus that's going on. Right. Be prepared to get ketchup flung at you. Be prepared to, you know, persuade children that don't want to eat to eat. Be content to have Dora the Explorer on in the background. And then once all the kids are out of the way, be prepared to sit on the sofa and say nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if we personalize it and we think about the friends that we have in our orbit of our life at this at this point, if they were to come over and just fit in with what's going on and be happy to just kind of hang out and then take the energy level as it comes, which means at seven o'clock there may be energy for conversation and there may not. Right. You know, and you're free to hang out and watch movies with us if that's what we're doing. Or, you know, sometimes we're chatting or whatever, but it sort of go with the ebbs and flow of the amount of energy that's available, then that's really cool. But it, I think some t- it depends on the person because if you're looking for more of a connection and a heartfelt something that's going to be really hard for me to do specifically or um, without having, you know, FaceTime without any kids involved without any. And for me, that takes planning energy for that event because I'm spending everything I've got on the kids and and on the day. And then you're planning an energy on that event means I'm 
spending my energy on a completely different event, which is juggling three kids or vice versa. Right. So your available spots as a married person with three children to go and connect with other people is drastically limited, which is why it might look insular from the outside, I wonder. Because you're yeah, just really you're just maintaining keeping your head above the water. And I think as kids get older, it looks a little different. We're just in a stage where ours are really little. Right. And they're, you know, we still have one in diapers and they're, they're just very hands-on. Right. And that that needs to be the priority. So I guess the answer to the first part of the question is, unfortunately, you have to work very, very hard at probably getting very, very little. Yeah, I'm not sure it's going to feel like a good return on in investment necessarily probably the greatest return on investment is finding other people in the similar sort of season of life and connecting with them yeah okay here's another listener's question for you yeah this is from kayla this is a great question okay she says i'm a believer and i've been to many charismatic house churches and i still have a lot of questions one for example being on the gift of prophecy i'm confused as to how that is specifically a lesson to be taught to another believer if this is the gift of the Holy Spirit, shouldn't he be the one to give it to us? How does a person give this to another person? So I'm going to stop there. There's another part of the question. Kayla, have you ever met somebody who is gifted at music? Like they can just, for whatever reason, play piano by ear, right? And so they've got this amazing gift where they can just play. That person would still benefit from being taught how to play the piano. That still receive incredible benefit from you know learning how to play with other people from learning how to read music to actually kind of broaden the gift that's already yeah, there refine the gift yeah. yeah so you may have a gift but until you know how to use your gift your gift is kind of useless john paul jackson who was a very famous prophet who's now with the lord said that for most of his early parts of his life he was a gifted nothing he was somebody who had a gift but wasn't trained in how to use it, how to connect with the rest of the body, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, how does a person give this gift to another person? Well, Paul said, I long to be with you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. So there is a sense that gifts can be imparted to people. Yes. But a lot of the training that we do in the prophetic is not training you how to get a gift. It's training you how to use the gift that you may have already been given or right. activating you in a gift, so right. to speak. So I hope that helps second part said also every time a person with a gift of prophecy calls themselves a prophet my spirit becomes very uneasy and i was just wondering if that term is just a blank statement for someone with a gift or it actually means a prophet with equal authority as jesus what do you specifically mean when you call yourself a prophet if you think about it kayla are i mean i get what you're saying i'm usually quite uneasy around people who call themselves prophets I know lots of prophets and people who I would call a prophet. Um, but are you uneasy when people call himself a pastor? Or are you uneasy when Billy Graham is referred to as an evangelist? You're probably not uncomfortable with people calling themselves a teacher or a pastor because we're kind of used to those terms and we've built up an understanding of what those ministry offices look like. You, we understand what a pastor does. We understand what a teacher does. We understand what an evangelist does. But I don't think everybody who has the gift of prophecy is a prophet. That, that's, that, that's, uh, that's not something I subscribe to at all. I think there's been a lot of misuse with people calling themselves prophet. Yeah, but for sure. The, the couple of episodes that we've done when we've talked about our journey into st understanding the prophetic call in our life is really our unease with 
the term prophet, our unease with referring to ourselves as prophets, and our journey in understanding, oh, okay, we've got varying degrees of calling into prophetic ministry. And in AJ, especially, I forget which episode it was that you talked about your difficulty, because a lot of the prophets that were coming to our church started calling you out as a prophet, and it was a big deal for you to agree with what God had said about you. Right. So I'm not sure if that helps, but certainly we don't believe that people who are prophets are on the same equal authority as Jesus. No. Because Jesus himself gave prophets to the church. Right. So in Ephesians 4 verse 11, it says, So Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So... Part of the role of a prophet, along with an apostle and a pastor and evangelist and a teacher, is to equip the church. And bring maturity. And bring maturity. Right. So, are there a lot of people who are wandering around calling themselves pastors and teachers and prophets who aren't really pastors, teachers, and prophets? Of course there are. Um, But at the same time, there are legitimate people who are prophets, and I love being in relationship with lots of those people. Yeah. All right. I hope that was helpful. If you would like the show notes for this episode, go to alanandaj.com slash 70. If you would like us to answer one of your questions, go to alanandaj.com slash ask. And oh, I forgot, our Finding Father books are back in stock. Yes, they are. We got a shipment this week, and if you've been looking for a copy, go to alanandaj.com, and we'll put a link in the show notes, and you can purchase a life-changing book there. And also, we have our Heaven Declares conference coming up at Gray Center at the end of October. We'd love to see you there. Go to heavendeclares.info for information about that. And don't forget to get your jingles in by Thursday. Bye-bye.